I want you to turn to Psalms 100. Brother Kenneth mentioned that as we were closing on Sunday. And as long, far back as I can remember, our family reads this every year at Thanksgiving before we pray. And we've made it a family tradition. I preached from it. And so many times we read a wonderful psalm like this and never really stop to reflect on it and so I want to do that tonight I want us to just look at it in detail and uh, and hopefully it'll something that'll carry over with you into thanksgiving psalms 100 verse 1 make a joyful noise unto the lord all ye lands serve the lord with gladness come before his presence with singing know ye that the lord he is god it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into the ga his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Well, I mentioned uh, thanksgiving being upon us, but Christmas is actually just around the corner. And every year at Christmas time, you hear somebody talking about their, you know, their Christmas list, especially the kids. They've all, all getting their Christmas list uh, together. But you know, I've, I've never heard anyone talk about a Thanksgiving list. You know, and it makes me wonder if maybe people in general are more concerned about gifts than they are about gratitude. You know, that's the way it seems. Uh, uh, we, we need to do like the old song says, count your many blessings, and not just on Thanksgiving, but uh, every day of the year. You know, that's, uh, I think about the Plymouth Settlers and what they did way back in 1621 as they met with their Indian guests, and, and it was for the purpose of thanking God for His blessings. And we live in a, in, in a time where... Where most people, I think, you know, their attitude is, it's Turkey Day. And I may, you know, maybe I'm nitpicking, but but I've got to be honest with you. That just kind of offends me. I I I just don't. I I think it's we ought to remember it's Thanksgiving Day, not Turkey Day. Too many people's thinking about food and football and family and friends and all of those other things, and there's not anything wrong with any of those things. It's just the fact of the matter is we need to focus on Thanksgiving. I want to mention three things tonight that we find in this psalm that will help us, I think, to, to have a better understanding of Thanksgiving and the importance of it. And the first two verses here we see the response, or what should be the response, of a thankful heart. And uh, if I could sum it all up, I think it would be like this. It is a call for exuberance in worship. Exuberance in worship. Something we don't see a whole lot of today, but we should. And I want you to just go through this with me and notice each detail First of all, the response should be, look at verse number one, should be joyful shouting. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. That, that phrase, make a joyful noise, comes from one single Hebrew word, and it means to shout. It means to, to raise a sound or to cry out. 
It's talking about a verbal, a loud verbal expression of our feelings. And in this case, it's used to describe, you know, the the praise for the Lord. In ancient times, this is a phrase you would use if you were going to give praise to a king or if you was going to celebrate a great victory or something like that. They would be shouting in the street. They would be celebrating. And here he tells us that, that worship ought to be a time of celebration. Make a joyful noise. And you, you can't help but wonder when you read that why in most churches today, that the people are so reserved in worship. And I understand that there's such a thing as getting in the ditch on the other side of the road, and there are folks that do that. There are folks, listen, I've preached in places where where it was common while you were preaching, somebody would get all excited and get up and start running around, running around the building. I've seen them walk on the tops of the pews, and just about everything that you can imagine I've seen it in Baptist churches, by the way. And, you know, uh, that's going to the extreme. We can have exuberance without making fools out of ourselves. You need to remember, you know, that old saying about the fact that uh, people go to a ball game and shout like a Comanche and go to church and sit like a wooden Indian. And, you, you know, you, you don't have to make a fool out of yourself. But And I think for the most part, people can tell if somebody is really involved in the worship service. I know Tim can, Kent, Brother Kenneth can, preachers when you're standing up there and... Uh, you can just tell that some folks, they might not be loud and boisterous or anything like that, but you can tell their heart is in it, and that's the way it ought to be. Then notice the second thing about this is jovial service. Verse number two, serve the Lord with gladness. I think every Christian understands that we ought to serve God. Uh, you know, I don't need to take 30 minutes going through the Bible and reading all the verses related to serving God. We all understand that. We all agree with that. I think it's the gladness part that we leave out so many times. And, you know, we tend to sometimes think about our service for the Lord as being a burden instead of a blessing. And uh, it's so strange. You know, you go out to a restaurant or in a store somewhere and they talk about service with a smile. Well, you know, that's the way it ought to be in our service for the Lord. It ought to be with a smile. It ought to be with gladness in our heart because we ought to count it a high privilege to be able to serve God. So there needs to be... There needs to be jubilant singing and joyful service. And then notice verse 2, the jubilant singing here. He says, come before his presence with singing. Now, the very first verse I mentioned there, the first part of it, make a joyful noise, doesn't necessarily imply singing. You know, as what we might refer to today as shouting or something. Making a joyful noise, shouting out praise unto the Lord. But now... He's more specific, and he says here, come into his presence with singing. And the question is, do you? Now, I look out there tonight, and I think I can probably say that 99% of you, or maybe 100% of you, do sing whenever we're having the congregational songs. But I can tell you from standing up there and looking out here, there are people that never, I've never seen them open their mouth and sing one word, never. You know, if that happens... If that happens in one service, you might think, well, they've got a bad headache or they've had a bad day 
you know, you, you can attribute it to something, but when people never sing, there's got to be something wrong with that. And, and, and it happens. So here he says, come before his presence with singing. That's important to God, whether, you know, whether it's important to us or not. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I just can't sing. Sure you can. Everybody sings. Some people sing better than other people, you know. Everybody can't sing well as we think of, you know, being gifted in that area. But everybody can sing. And by the way, God, and remember this, that worship worship is is serving God who is an audience of one. We're not trying to entertain people. We're trying to please the Lord. So... So the first thing that we need to see in this psalm is our response. The response of a thankful heart. Now look at verse 3 and 4. Here we see the requirements for a thankful heart. The requirements. Verse number 3, it starts out here with an, an awareness of our relationship with God. And he mentions four things about our relationship with God that we need to think about. His person, notice he says, know ye that the Lord, He is God. And that's speaking about an experiential knowledge of God. It's not talking about, you know, just a head knowledge, something that we know in our mind, but it's something that we have experienced for ourselves. And we'll never be truly thankful unless there's an acknowledgement of God's authority in our life. We read this, and it might not mean all that much to us, because we say, well, know you, the Lord, He is God. Well, sure He is. But understand, in those ancient times, this is the thing that set the Jews apart from all of the other nations of the earth. Because they, you know, they believed in a lot of gods. They had hundreds of gods, whereas the Jews said the Lord he is God, and, and over and over again they pointed out the fact that their God was the only true and the living God, and that's one of the things that caused the other nations to despise the Jews. It's like, you know, it's kind of like today whenever you say Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, some people get all bent out of shape about that, but it's the truth. Whether they accept it or not, that's the truth. So the first requirement is this awareness of our relationship with God, His person, and then notice His power. It says, it is He that hath made us. In other words, we owe our very existence to Him. You are God's special creation. There's nobody here by accident. And that's important because knowing that God made us tells us that God has a plan for us. God, you know, has a purpose for us. And we live with a sense of purpose in life. It, it, it would be absolutely miserable to think that you're just existing. You're just eating, sleeping, and breathing, and you just exist. There's no purpose in life. But thank God for the Christian, there is a purpose. You're not here by accident. God has you here for a reason and for a season, and He has a work for you to do while you're here. We need to consider His person, His power, and then his purchase. Notice he says, we are his people. You know, how can, how can we not be thankful knowing that we belong to God? I mean, we're his family. We are his property. As Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, know ye not? He said, your body is the temple 
you know, of God, of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. And we think about the price that God paid for us. How could we not be thankful? And then notice he doesn't stop there. Now, that would have been wonderful if he'd just stopped there. But he adds a fourth thing here to our awareness. And that is his provision. Notice, and the sheep of his pasture. Now, that might not seem very, you know, flattering to be compared to sheep. You know, because sheep has been known to be pretty dumb. But, but I think that makes it all of the more glorious to think about, you know, us as sheep, as dumb and unworthy as we are. And yet God not only accepts us, but God provides for us. We're the sheep of His pasture. And let me tell you, there's everything that we'll all ever need in the Lord's pasture. So He's talking about His constant care of us. You know, there's a song that says, Every need He is supplying. Boy, that is so true. Every need that we have. Now, when you put these four things together here and look at them, each one uh, as a whole, you see these are the requirements. And I, I want you to notice what is implied in those four things. There's God's covenant. It goes back to His person. God's covenant with His people. God's creation. God's children. And God's care. That ought to thrill our heart. So the first requirement is an awareness of our relationship with God. But notice in verse number 4, the second thing is an acceptance of our responsibility to God. He says, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Uh, this tells us, as many other verses also tell us that thanksgiving is not an option. It's not something, you you know, that, that we're supposed to do if we really feel good that day or if we've been blessed in some particular way, but it is an obligation that every one of us has, regardless of who we are. We have an obligation to be thankful to the Lord. You know, somebody says, well, I'm so grateful for what God has done. Well, that's well and good, but you need to be thankful. It's one thing to be grateful. It's another thing to express your gratitude in thanksgiving, you see. And, and let me tell you, ingratitude is a serious sin against God. Uh, read in Romans chapter number 1, that verse I quote so often, verse 21, Terry talks about when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. That is a description of somebody that that has departed from God to the extent that finally God just gives them over to a reprobate mind and it doesn't get any more serious than that. Well, that brings us down to the third thing about this matter of thanksgiving. Not only the responsibility of it, but here we notice in verse number 5, the reasons for a thankful heart. Now, I've just alluded to some of those. Everything I've mentioned about the responsibility is something that, you know, that sets forth a reason of some kind. But I want you to notice these three things that he mentions here in verse number 5. And the first one is God's evident goodness. He says, for the Lord is good. I wonder if there's anybody that would want to debate that. Boy, you'd lose that debate, wouldn't you? 
I mean, that nothing has ever been more obvious than the fact that God is good. There might be some poor deluded soul out here that's going through a lot of trials and, you know, they think God has forgotten them. They try to pray and heaven seems as brass and it just seems like God is not all that good. But, but they're foolish because anyone that looks at the facts has to confess that God is good, that God is good all of the time and God is good in every way. God is just as good to us when He chastises us, as He is whenever He's pouring out abundant blessings upon us, you see. His goodness is demonstrated, His love for us is demonstrated by the fact that He chastens us whenever we are in the wrong. We ought to be so thankful for God's evident goodness. It's not something that we, you know, got to guess about. It's something that we know for absolute certainty. Now, look. Secondly here in the reasons is God's everlasting mercy. His evident goodness and now His everlasting mercy. His mercy is everlasting. That speaks about God's nature. Mercy is God's goodness in relation to sinners. You know, we often talk about the word grace as well we should. And grace is a word that implies, you know, that God has been good to us or God has bestowed upon us some blessing that we don't deserve, whereas mercy is God's goodness in the sense that He withholds the judgment that we do deserve. Because if we got what we deserve, we'd all, we'd all be in hell. We'd be punished for all of eternity. But God is merciful. And uh, were it not for that, that fact, as Jeremiah said in the book of Lamentations, you know, we, we'd be destroyed. That, that's the only thing that keeps us going because all of us has failed to such an extent. I'm talking about all of us Christians. Somewhere along the line, we have failed to such an extent that God would be perfectly justified if He just took us home. And instead of doing that, He showed mercy to us. And because we have mercy, notice the mercy is everlasting. Now that's important because it tells me that it gives me hope. Just as God has been merciful to me, if God's mercy is everlasting, if they are renewed every morning, that gives me hope for the future failures that I might experience. The same God that was merciful back then will be merciful tomorrow whenever we fail Him. And having that hope, you know, gives us a peace for which we ought to be thankful we don't have to just sit, you know, and wring our hands with a tear in our eye worrying about uh, everything under the sun because we know God is good. We know God is merciful, reasons to be thankful. Then notice also God's enduring truth. He says, and His truth endureth to all generations. Have you ever stopped and think about where we would be without the truth? What an awful state we would be. And we'd be under condemnation for one thing. We would be in bondage. We'd be troubled. We'd be confused. There would be no hope except for the fact that God has given us the truth that sets us free. One of the things that really bothers me is whenever I hear people, sometimes even preachers, talking about how that 
things have changed. You know, and that's that's truth. Things are different. They're not like they used to be. In some ways for the better, in some ways for the worst, you see. But their point is because the times have changed that we need to change. But notice, here's the truth. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And without His Bible... Without the truth, we wouldn't have any sure standard whatsoever. We wouldn't know why we're here. We wouldn't know where we're going. We wouldn't have any assurance whatsoever that things will ever be better than what they are. But it's the truth that gives us that peace. God's Word directs us and it delivers us. It comforts us. It encourages us. And and, and the wonderful thing is because He says, notice, that his truth will endure forever. I don't know about you, but sometimes I uh, I worry more than I should about my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You know, I look at the world and think about how awful it is, and I think back to whenever I was a boy, and my, you could just get out and run around all over town, ride your bicycle anywhere, you didn't worry about anything, and now you're scared to death for your kids to go down to the bus stop to catch the school bus. Because we live in we live in horrible times in that sense. And so many times we think, well, what in the world are they going to do? Well, God's not dead. They still have the Bible. I've had people to tell me, more than one, that has told me, Preacher, we don't want to have children. In these times in which we live, it is so bad, we don't want to have kids. I think that's a awful reflection upon them and their attitude toward God. I know times are tough, but, but but believe me, God is able to cause all grace to abound. Years ago, and I, I mentioned the importance of uh, the importance of Thanksgiving many years ago. It's probably been close to fifty now. I run across the verse, two verses actually, over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And boy, this just cinches it down and shows us what an important issue this is. Deuteronomy chapter number 20, did I say 24, I think? 28. Notice verse number 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Now get this. Therefore shall thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. Wow, what a scathing indictment that is against his own people. Because Notice, because they failed to serve the Lord, and notice that addition to the phrase, with gladness. I mean, here was a people that had been accustomed to the blessings of God, a people that no longer were thankful for God's many blessings. And even though, even though they might have gone through the motions of rendering service unto the Lord, you know, honoring the Sabbath day and what have you, 
still it was without gladness in their heart, which indicates that thanksgiving was lacking. The thing about it is, just as God said he would do, he did do. And, and if you don't believe that, you just look at the history of Israel and, and you see what happened again and again when other nations were allowed to come in and to conquer them. And if you want to see how serious it is, read the book of Lamentations, especially there in chapter number 1. It got so bad. Here they are taken into captivity and suffering horribly. And it gets so bad that the people resort to cannibalism. They're eating the flesh of their own children trying to survive. And, and God had forewarned them hundreds of years earlier that if you fail to serve me with gladness of heart, he said, I'm going to bring another nation upon you. And let me tell you, that can happen to a nation. It can happen to a church. It can happen to a family. Because whenever we stop serving the Lord with gladness, indicating we're not grateful for the things that God has done, we've just created a, we've created a monster that's going to literally destroy us. So I, I hope this Thanksgiving, I don't know, you might not choose to read Psalms 100. You might choose a number of other Psalms or some other section of the Bible. Uh, but I hope that you'll really take time to, as the song says, count your many blessings and, and just try to think about the different reasons we have for being thankful to the Lord. You know, I know that we could just take a pencil and a piece of paper and start writing out, well, I'm thankful for my house and my car and my health and this and that and the other. Uh, but get beyond those material things. Be, be thankful for the salvation of your children, your grandchildren, and so forth, and thankful for what God is doing that is of a spiritual nature, and to know that even though you're just a, a sinner saved by grace, that still God loved you enough that He gave His only begotten Son. He made the supreme sacrifice for which we ought to be forever thankful. That's why Paul said, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And uh, I'm sure you will. And I hope tonight you served as a, as a brief reminder of how we ought to be thankful to the Lord. Anyone have a word?